Sanchez making a Saturday with the... Everything news was forced to get off of home base. We thought it was too dangerous. They said too many people are getting hurt. There were 10 people that were taken off site. A lot of people have been talking about these fires, but it was so much more than that. Podcast 99. Welcome back to another episode of Podcast 99. I'm Ryan Lichten, and I'm joined with Parks Miller, and we're actually in the same room. In the flesh. Yes. It's really good. I can say things without uh, having a lag via Google Hangouts and the internet, so. Yeah, and I don't have to act like I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, uh Mm uh-huh, and I have no idea what you're actually saying. Little known behind-the-scenes fact at uh, Podcast 99 you might not know is sometimes we have no idea what the other one's fucking saying. And we have to, we just have to go with it, but it always seems to work out. So we are doing our day two recap. We have reached the end of the second day of Woodstock 99, July 24th, 1999 has now finished. And we're just going to kind of like what we did with the first day. We're going to go back through it act by act, just uh, anything we might've left out. But also this is just a good way to kind of compartmentalize the last, you know, eight episodes or however, however many it's been, get you all caught up, get it back fresh in your head before we jump into the third and final day of the festival. But before we get into that, let's, uh, let, let's talk Woodstock 50 really quick. We had done the, uh, the coverage of the complete timeline of what had happened up to this point. And now what's, what's happening is, you know, their permits were denied from the original location. So now they're scouting for new locations. The uh, amount of people that the locations that they're looking at now can hold are about half of what the original intention yeah, was. Something like 35,000. Right. Which, which is a small festival. Yeah. And that's going to probably double to triple the ticket prices that, you know, whatever price it was going to be. And and they've been denied. They were going to do it at Vernon Downs Racetrack, which is where Mo of uh, another Woodstock 99 alumni uh, throws their mow down every year, which sounds like a fucking ball, but that, that was denied. So now it's just completely up in the air. Not a single ticket's been sold and they don't have a place to do it. And it's supposed to happen. in I think three to four weeks from now, Right. <laughs> so. I mean, the timeline is, is really impossible, but I guess that's the beauty of following this Woodstock 50 thing as it's going on is, Pretty much at every moment, it seemed like, oh, it's not going to happen. Right. And then Lang, someone gives him a microphone and he bites back. That is. And so, you know, without anyone getting seriously hurt, I want to see this thing go right up. I want to I want him to keep rolling with. Yeah, no, me too. It it makes for better entertainment. And I was I had told Ryan one time, you know, like off mic, how maybe just maybe he Lang has been sitting and just waiting He's been studying the art of like controversial social media and how oh my God. how that actually benefits you. And so it's actually this like elaborate plan of his to have everything seem like it's going to shit. And then re- and reality, then it'll, it be, it'll be some huge success story. Or it'll be just like a way to sell like a Woodstock 50 t-shirt. Like they'll be like, well, we did have all this merch printed up, but since it's not happening, get your limited edition, you know, Woods, the Woodstock that never was. You know, there could be some weird thing like that. But overall, it just seems like no one wants this to happen except for 
Michael Lang, and right. no one's making it easy on him. It's not leaning towards the sign of marketing genius, that's for sure. It no. would just be a nice twist. Yes. Okay. So uh, moving on from that, uh, yeah, we, we, I mentioned that that we're actually in the same room together. Uh, our very own producer, Gray Holger of Contradict Sound, has a new show out, Noise Extra. Uh, that's, that's with a, a giant X. It's not Noise Extra. It's Noise Extra. And that is uh, covering the history of noise music. So be sure you check that out. And we also just threw our very first live event, yes. which went really well. Thank you, everyone that came out. Thank you, all the people that listened to the show. We did a whole artifact exhibition where we had some survivors that I met. Uh, shout out to Andy, who gave us you know, these amazing pieces that he had. We're going to have him on the show eventually because he was uh, a rare case, a sober survivor. Someone that attended all three days by himself, completely sober, has all the memories, has taken hundreds of pictures, saved everything from, you know, his parking pass all the way down to napkins from the pizza vendor. So all that stuff's like really uh, was kind of fascinating to see. And then we did a screening and uh, yeah, I, I felt like it went really well. And yeah, just thank you guys for coming. We're going to put the video up for that soon. It'll probably be on our Patreon and we're not even going to make it a top tier thing. You can just sign up for, you know, a dollar and, and, and watch the show. And that yeah. helps us out a lot it was it was very nice uh you know i got to meet tony b i got to meet photographer mike schreiber yeah I mean, these all the people, survivors came out it was right tight. and so these are people that you know really just i had been in some ways as just as removed as a listener just because of just kind of seeing or listening to the episodes themselves so it was really cool uh you know just a just a shout out to ryan for all the hard work he's putting ah. into it just you know but it was it was like oh like, especially meeting Mike Schreiber and he had all, you know, he, I, I, I was getting the impression that because of you contacting him or just because it is the 20th anniversary of 99, you know, that seemed to have in some ways maybe prompted him to make this book that oh, he has. Totally, and so he, yeah. he had this amazing book of just all the photos that he took that didn't make it into spin or any publications. Yeah. And, and you can find that through his Instagram at the Mike Schreiber uh, he's selling copies of that of that book. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's just a giant photo book and it's all these pictures that weren't published in the spin magazine that the, the issue of spin that he shot for. And he also brought these giant blown up prints and mm -hmm. easily the star of the show of those prints was this giant close up of a naked flea from red hot chili peppers, just yeah. slang and dong. Just it, yeah. In the middle of the, the arc of motion, I guess you could say. Yeah, he's flipping it. He was doing something very kinetic, uh, <laughs> and it's captured. And I mean, just great stories about how, just I guess, just because even the side of the stage he was on, being yeah, for he, spin versus for Rolling Stone right. is how he got the angle of the dangle. Yeah. So. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah, but basically, what what he told us was that uh, the spin photographers and the spin crew had their own little sequestered area to shoot from, and it was kind of like a, a, a vulture's nest, a little kind of bird's eye view area, so they could get a really good shot over the crowd. And Rolling Stone had their own, and they were just poised on different parts of the stage, so no one would be publishing all of the same photos from the same angle. And he just happened to be on the side of the stage that Flea was on, so he got lots of uh, lots of dong shots, and he called the the photo the showstopper mm -hmm. which yeah. uh is is definitely it and also just to you know say something about flea's penis a lot of people that were stopping and looking at it were saying like it's like a a perfect example of a penis <laughs> like it was like a dictionary definition penis and balls like just like not like huge 
or like you know or or anything like that just like perfect like if an alien came down and was like what does that penis look like i would be like well funny you should ask alien because i have this picture of flea's dick from woodstock 99 and you should check it out it's a showstopper yeah hopefully if you know the aliens come we get first dibs and we can tell them (laughs) we can tell them all about humanity via woodstock 99 yeah and then they'll they'll pack up and and leave (laughs) uh yeah oh man that that was just it was it was was really really nice yeah really really good yeah it it was it was really cool to to see them so let's get into recapping day two what we're going to do is we're going to do it by stage so we're going to do west stage first then we're going to jump over and do all the main stage stuff and with some of these groups there's really not much else to add in um so you know we're just going to kind of remind you of of where we're at now but some of them we do have some stuff like for instance spitfire who opens every day of the festival um the big uh, celebrity kind of feel good let's do good stuff for the world you had uh, perry farrell um michael kors yeah uh then um michael fronty spearhead and and a lot of other people and one of the things i found out about spitfire is it was co-founded by rage against the machine singer zach de la roca right right but he wasn't really in, involved and also one of the things that they did was they had guests come up so it wasn't just the the three people that we mentioned uh that as far as we knew what were the only people involved in spitfire they had uh, lots of guests almost every day but mm-hmm. it wasn't really covered because it was just like a silly thing and also they blew it the first day this isn't even second day stuff but just to feed you more spitfire so the first day there was a review that we found on mtv.com it's a in the, part of the mtv's news and uh they on the first day they had andy dick come out and also Kennedy Sputters, the MTV, the, the VJ, who is mm-hmm. now uh, a Fox News correspondent and outspoken right wing uh, reporter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is, is, is interesting, considering that I'm sure Spitfire now, if it was around, would want to stay as far away as possible from from Kennedy and probably Andy Dick, for that matter. Not that he leans that way politically, but it's just not a good look because right, <laughs> he had a band with him. Yes. The, the and... bitches of the 21st century is the name right. of Andy Dick's band which is really just a couple of acoustic guitars, you know, along with him singing. And he sang a song, uh, I believe it's called, uh, let's see here, I have it, I have it pulled up. Oh, yeah, the song was called My Cock and Balls. Right. And according to Andy Dick in an interview held afterwards, they said, what's up with that song, My Cock and Balls? He's like, oh, well, it's about how I love my cock and balls. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone started booing and people were really upset. And then Kennedy gets up and she gets even more booed because, as we told you before, MTV was really not a welcome presence at Woodstock 99, even though they were the major media conglomerate pushing the whole thing on everyone anyways. But for some reason, everyone took it upon themselves to throw things at the MTV crews to harass them. And Kennedy was no exception. Everyone started booing to the point where Andy Dick comes back out on stage and moons the crowd. Mooning is a very 90s thing. Yes. So he pulls his butt out and shows his butt to to the crowd and everyone starts booing even more. Hmm. And then that's kind of the end of that set. And a woman was interviewed later and she said, I don't want to hear other people's opinions. She said, but the crowd was kind of rude to them. And then another girl said, we're here to see Dave Matthews. (laughs) (laughs) This wasn't appropriate. Yeah. So Spitfire kind of losing their uh, their message there, but that and again that was day one. So I don't even know what they did day two, but that just gives you an idea of the shit show that was happening with with Spitfire. Right. Well, I mean, did they ask him beforehand, or you know, I mean, he's always kind of built his career on 
making wild left turns. Yeah, Andy Dick isn't a safe bet for anything um, except chaos in nine out of ten right. instances. So Spitfire just becomes sort of this really great enigma. I mean, for instance, if there was, you know, some video of it, it would be incredible, especially that one. Right. But I mean, you've got what seems to be like a pretty sort of peace and love hippie centered idea, and then you just plop like a just a complete my cock and balls yeah. i'm andy dick yeah. yeah it's yeah that that that's crazy and i did find a couple pictures of spitfire uh, taken from someone in the crowd i'll put those up on our on our patreon and our photo dump kind of section there um patreon.com slash culture dumps but um basically it's just perry farrell behind like a giant dj booth djing and there's a huge banner that says spitfire and then underneath it it's like actors artists uh, and musicians speaking about global affairs. That's like uh, my cock and balls. Yeah, yeah, and then, a and then global affair. <laughs> Andy Dick's, Dick's genitals. Yes, a, a global global affair. All right, so moving on now on the West States uh, second act, and really kind of I guess the the main first one that that, that would have happened would have been Guster. Uh, Guster, you know, we we went really off on them, and I told you guys. In a previous episode that I actually met them, they signed one of my Woodstock 99 t-shirts. They knew about the show. They knew that we trashed them, and they didn't care. Mm-hmm. Now, this is kind of an interesting side note, though, that I didn't know. We talked about how at the end of Guster's set, the pay-per-view feed goes and focuses in on what looked like a food stand. We later found out it was a, it was a stand, like it was like a promotional booth for a radio station who had paid women to go up on stage or go up on the roof and get naked and attract all these guys. And it was kind of a big promotional stunt. Um, and the reason why it was being filmed is because the pay-per-view stream, if you were, if you were subscribed to it when, when it was coming out, they didn't stop the feed in between bands. They would just like pan the crowd and zoom into interesting things that they mm-hmm. saw going on. So you never knew what you were going to get. Right. And they happened to get this like Dawn of the Dead crowd of dudes like surrounding this booth that these naked women are on that then slowly other women that weren't part of the, the gig start coming up and getting naked too. And what this new survivor that we met, Andy, told me was that he actually saw that. And what he saw was there was tons of dudes with these giant bags of disposable cameras selling them for 10 bucks a piece right during that thing. So it was like, oh, get your camera here. Get your camera. You like what you see? Here's a camera. Remember it forever. And so they were selling, like, it was like a way to sell disposable cameras too. And like, I guess they just, the radio station was like, now that's how you promote your radio station. That that sounds like, like a Monty Python or National Lampoon version of like what 200 years ago would happen. Yeah. You know, like just that, it just... It seems really messed up. Yeah, it, it's, it's barbaric and it's opportunistic and uh, illegal. Yeah, but uh, that ends yeah. up being so when bands sometimes if a band plays like five or even a few minutes less than their time, then that's like this new thing that we've discovered of, of gold. Like sometimes we'll sit through a pretty boring, you know, yeah. 40, 47 minute set. But then because they ended early you'll get like this little gold of the cameras just basically looking to kill dead time and they start filming the crowds. Yeah. And it's honestly some of the more fascinating parts. Cause right. it, cause again, like when everyone's, you know, a crowd can look miserable, like during like, you know, n- not like they're not having a good time, but just like miserable to be in. Like when you watch like corn or limp biscuit or even some of the early bands in the daytime when the sun's just like beating down, you know, and, but everyone's participating or they're doing something. There's something going on when nothing is going on. You really get a feel for how terrible it was there. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just people mulling about like, you know, there, there's a great bit, uh, that, that we saw that's not part of day two. And we're going to get to it later, but there was just like a couple baking in the sun, just like, 
holding each other in the grass. It's really weird. Oh, right. Yeah, there's yeah. just all sorts of this, like, bleak misery and that Guster moment after after they played where it's just these naked women being surrounded by horny men and, like, impressionable yeah. teenage boys that are taking cues from the older guys on how to act in a situation like that, just becoming the next generation of boneheads mm-hmm. uh, is, is essentially what's happening there. It just doesn't look pleasant. I think that, again, now that... There's been so many festivals. I think that oftentimes if you want to be a really successful one, you pay a lot of attention to the actual area that it's going to be. Right. Maybe there could be a tree or a hill or something that would just be like, oh, it's pretty. It's nice to be here. But that's a good thing about those shots is you see, oh, it's just this flat, hot, just cement slab of land. Yeah, we're like weapons are being developed yeah and toxic waste is stored and right. it's just so goddamn bleak is is the word for it and it's just like desolate and uncomfortable mm-hmm. you know at, at its core and one of the things that um that our, our survivor mike had these unpublished photos from his time they're shooting for spin were um photos of people's sunburns oh, and, he, right. and there was like this great shot of a guy laying down again you got to buy his book you got you got to seek him out and, and get his book it's going to be in a, a few stores i think uh, in new york and then there's already a couple in la that are carrying it uh like stories uh cafe in uh echo park los angeles but um there's like a guy laying on his belly in his tent with just his legs out and like from his knees down are just tomato Mm-hmm. It's just tomato fucking red, like put you in a hospital. So you need skin graft sunburns. Right. And then there's another guy who has like, so like some like he just put on sunscreen. So he still has some on his face. And again, just a fucking tomato, like, a, like get a red crayon. That's how red he is. Mm-hmm. And it's brutal, dude. Like, like de like just totally disabilitating. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's insane. Yeah. It's uh, the worst sunburns I've ever seen. And that's kind of what the stuff you see in, in these in-between moments in the pay-per-view are just people suffering. Uh, so then next we had the Bruce Hornsby group. Uh, we talked about them as, you know, being remarkable musicians, but overall it's kind of uneventful. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does talk about um, how his song, The Way It Is, was, you know, famously sampled by Tupac. And that's kind of how everyone knew it. And that's how he even introduced the song, which he won a Grammy for himself almost 10 years before it became a Tupac song. But uh, he gave credit where credit is due. So then moving on, we had Everclear. Uh, we were particularly tough on them as well. But one thing I noticed about Everclear listening to them now is the singer completely jocked the voice or at least styled his voice after the singer of Thin Lizzy. Like, oh, it, it, yeah. You can hear it right now in your head that mm-hmm. I'm saying it. Right. Yeah, like, well, because they cover it, Thin Lizzy. Exactly. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. For Detroit Rock City, they covered The Boys Are Back in Town. And it makes total fucking sense now mm-hmm. when I'm listening to it. Because I was listening to a whole Thin Lizzy album. And then I heard an Everclear song on the radio after that. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, that sounds that's like the voice style. Yeah. So there's that. And of course, you know, it ends with them pulling everyone on stage. Uh, you know, there, there's a couple, you know, topless girls. There's a guy just completely painted in red paint who looks like a human being of L- LSD. <laughs> and uh, the, the guy, Andy, our, our, our survivor that we're going to have on uh, in, a, in a future episode, he was like front and center for Everclear. And he was like a big fan and yeah. took a bunch of pictures of them. And he was uh, he wasn't too stoked uh, at the things that, that we had to say. But all in all, folks, you know, we I will always remind you. That no matter what we say about any of these bands, it doesn't take away from the fact that they were big enough to be chosen to play at the biggest festival of the fucking 1990s, Woodstock 99. It was insane. And yes, all the bad stuff happened, but the bands made out all right. Yeah, (laughs) you know, for the most part. (laughs) Yeah, us trashing Everclear isn't really a 
Not, no. not changing the fact that they they're, like are platinum still selling at artists. night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think that it, they're bothered. All right, so then we had Ice Cube. Uh, we talked about that set. One of the most profane sets uh, of, of of the festival. Lots of drug talk. He's wearing a top hat and a Raiders jersey. <laughs> uh, the crowd is very interesting. There's a, a guy dressed as Santa. There's a guy in a basketball jersey and a Darth Vader helmet. It's um, you know, it kind of kind of an interesting set. But you know, again, nothing really to go too too deep into. Yeah. Uh, Los Lobos, where we had we we played their amazing cringe-filled episode, and uh, a guy came up to me at the live event and said, "Oh yeah, uh, w- like what what's up with these Los Lobos CDs? Because one of the artifacts we had were two copies of the same Los Lobos album mm-hmm. that were caked in mud, and these were found on the grounds the day after." the meltdown of the festival happened. So these were basically like pressed into the ground, like cobblestones. And this dude just picked him up and was like, Oh, well I guess they're fucking free now. So so we had a couple of those and he was like, Oh, what's up with these? And I told him and he's like, Oh cool. He's like, you know, you guys need to mention on the show. So here I am dude mentioning it on the show that they were on slash records, which uh, was a punk label in in the eighties. Like the germs were on it. That's like one of their, their most notable bands. Mm -hmm. And he said that he was a punk rocker and he was buying everything he could from that record label, no matter what it was. Cause he just assumed, Oh, I like punk. I'm going to buy all these punk albums. And one of them was Los Lobos. And that's how him and eventually his girlfriend just fell in love with that band. Wow. You know, yeah, which is Well, uh, they did they did open for, for Public Image. Yeah, Limited. for Public Image. Right, Limited. Right, yeah. So. so they got their their roots are kind of cut out in both wedding parties and doing covers and like having kind of this cool like we're like from LA and like punks like us cuz it's just like a fun thing to drink beer too. They, no, they seemed really cool. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I was really glad that was a like a highlight of the show is just when we played the uh the interviewer being just a terrible interviewer yes, and his name was cousin ed we found out yeah. he was a dj from philadelphia he was not an actual vj for mtv but they needed so many people interviewing so many bands they hired all sorts of prominent personalities from around the country to come and fill in and that's yeah. how cousin ed ended up there but yeah his just having watching the audience react uh to us playing that clip was it was great it was very gratifying you could like, see people just completely wincing right it made me be like okay well i'm not too crazy for having watched all these interviews yeah like, no, this no, is worth that was, it that was it made it totally worth it to see a room full of people groan mm-hmm. at all the same stuff that we groaned at when we found it right so then we're getting now this is about 7 55 ish eight o'clock we're at mickey hart's planet drum uh you know the world music Master, the drummer of Grateful Dead, percussionist. He still plays with with Dead and Company. And uh, one of the things that happened in the the Woodstock '50 debacle was that uh, Dead and Company member John Mayer, who you might know as being the modern day G Love, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we we mentioned that on the the G Love uh, portion of our show. But um, he he was commenting on Woodstock '50, saying, "Look, I'm built to play, and I don't know what's going on." Mm-hmm. And that was really kind of like. A lot of journalists latched onto that, and then that that became kind of a really funny moment where right. this dude's like, who's like supposed to be headlining. If anyone's gonna fucking know what's going on, it's the people that are supposed to headline mm-hmm. this massive, ambitious festival, the 50th anniversary of what was the biggest concert, pretty much in American history, the original Woodstock. No one else talks about other festivals for good reasons, like they do mm-hmm. about Woodstock. So yeah, and he didn't even know what was going on. Right, and I mean, there hasn't really been any uh, official comments from 
most of the scheduled headliners. So. No, yeah, yeah. No, no one else has has really talked about. It. I don't think anyone else has asked or even bothers. But uh, then we had Chemical Brothers closing out that stage. Uh, again, it was kind of like a predecessor to the rave that would go on that night where Fatboy Slim would headline. And, of course, we, we mentioned that a truck carrying a half pipe into the Action Sports Lounge uh, accidentally drove into that rave. And then was the truck was clamored upon by all these ravers who just wanted to dance on it. Uh, but but no one was hurt except for probably the ego of the driver who was like, wow, I really fucked up. <laughs> All right, so now we're over on the East stage, the main stage, the money stage, if you will. We have the Tragically Hip, a.k.a. The Hip. This is Canada's R.E.M. is how we describe them. Their premier kind of indie rock band. They Their last concert was the most watched television event in Canadian history. Of course, their singer, Gord Downey, he had been diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And when they announced their last tour, it wasn't, oh, it's our last tour because we're like retiring. It was, this is our last tour because we're not going to have our singer anymore after mm -hmm. this. And that's why it was such a big thing. But yeah. I also found out that the reason why a band like tragically hip can be that big in Canada and just, and then open at, at Woodstock 99 is because in Canada they had special laws at the time. They're a little more lenient now, but it's called CanCon for short, and it's Canadian content laws where X amount of media that's played and consumed in Canada has to be produced within Canada. And that's to keep, you know, those kind of like the entertainment industry of Canada alive. You know what I mean? You can't just piggyback off of the stuff happening in the States. You know what I mean? You, you, you have to consume Canadian media. Wow. And so they, they became big because they were, you know, it was part of CanCon. Uh, then we had kid rock, a uh, legendary set. That was, uh, that, that, I mean, that was, that was a doozy. That's a legend mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right, right yeah. there. So I mean, we, go we, listen to it. Go listen to it. Yeah, yeah. Listen Go to watch that it. Listen to our episode. Yeah, the, we, I don't the think kid. there's anything else that, that we could say. There was some amazing shots of Kid Rock and Joe C. Uh, taken by, by Mike Schreiber. Mm -hmm. um, one, for instance, is Joe C. backstage on a little dirt bike. Yeah. And it's just like, why? Like, was, did you bring that? Did you bring a tiny dirt bike with you? Or was there just like tiny dirt bikes backstage or like was it part of their writer like like we need fucking crystal we need fucking 230 bricks of budweiser we need a fucking pack of smokes and a little motorcycle from my boy joe c hey man when you're when you're on top you're on top yeah it doesn't, sky's the limit it doesn't matter how you get it you get it right so then we have Wyclef Jean yeah, again back to back legend back to back legend my my favorite i've started making a list of my top 10 and you know this is just this is one of the so ones good. it's one of the ones it's one of the most woodstock 99 sets of the entire festival it's a complete meltdown we've talked about it he does this that's the Jimi hendrix moment which i argued that the actual Jimi hendrix moment is when fred durst uh crowd surfs on the plywood <laughs> during their during limp biscuit song faith but uh or their cover of george michael's song faith i should say <laughs> but that's the real Jimi hendrix moment because that's the real iconic like the crowd is right there with the, the the artist in a sense and they become one for a second despite how chaotic it was whereas this is someone trying to force that moment mm -hmm. and when you force things like that you don't get what you're expecting so yeah why clef john another great one can't recommend enough that that you go see that we played it at the event it was one of the uh, it was a big it was, it was a highlight yeah for, for sure uh, then we had uh, Counting Crows. Uh, we mentioned that their singer is on Tinder. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't. I don't know if he is anymore. I haven't seen him, <laughs> and I've been looking, and I've been fucking looking for that dude. I want to duck and kiss him. <laughs> 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 fucking sideshow Bob ass hair. But um, 
he uh yeah so i mean that was it with counting crows and again there wasn't that much there that was the band we were particularly harsh on but again you know huge fucking smash hits they sounded great it's just uh not my thing but they did it so more than i can say about my music career (laughs) then we had dave matthews band uh who recently headlined jazz fest in new orleans it's one of the country's biggest festivals they are still extremely fucking relevant and you know there was people there just to see Dave Matthews, but instead they were exposed to Andy Dick's song "My Cock and Balls" and his butt. It's true. It's <laughs> like if you're coming to see, like if you're coming to see Limp Bizkit, you're probably not going to be bothered by the fact that Andy Dick played a song called "My Cock and Balls" or like Kid Rock or something who played a song "My Balls in Your Mouth." But uh, you know, to be a Dave Matthews fan and be exposed to some of the the nature of Woodstock '99 had to, had to have been pretty tough. Same with like Jewel fans or even Alanis Morissette to an extent. You got more than you fucking bargained for. Well, we we're pouring one out for the Dave fans today. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you, you, you had it. You had it tough. And then that brings us to Alanis Morissette. We, of course, in our uh, our spin episode, discussed that there was a horrific sexual assault that happened when a girl was crowd surfed and and just completely. I mean, beyond groped. Um, and you know, because she felt safe enough to get up front because it's Alanis Morissette and it's the middle of the day. Surely nothing's gonna go down. And it fucking did because there's nothing stopping these brutes. And as we come to the close of day two, it's it's at its peak worst. And mm-hmm. it, uh, as far as assaults go and, and that kind of gross dude mentality that that's spreading like wildfire. Um, but there's going to be some actual fire being spread by the end of the next day. But we will get to that. Then, of course, we had. The legendary Limp Bizkit, one of the most are the most notorious set of the mm-hmm, festival absolutely. easily. Um, they've done music videos where they're on they're on they're they're on trial for starting riots and they're showing footage of Woodstock '99 in the courtroom and they're shaking their heads and they get sentenced to death where they drown in milk. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a whole thing. Uh, but then he gets to go to heaven and uh, sing with with Method Man. It's uh you know, but also you know that was the blame for all the major shit that went down. It's mm-hmm. all starts with Limp Bizkit's song "Break Stuff," and it's kind of interesting that you can trace. You know, at least through the media, and, and if you just go off of what what was published in, in in you know magazines and what was put on the news, it really seems like you everyone pinpointed the song "Break Stuff" mm-hmm. as the moment, like like almost like a light switch getting turned on. It's like okay, now we're in the "Break Stuff" uh, portion right. of Woodstock '99. It's great marketing. Break stuff. Break stuff. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but again, you know, the him talking about releasing your negative energy that's stuff that he would say at every show it wasn't him trying to get this crowd extra stirred up you Mm -hmm. know and one thing that they all say is you know from the from the stage and keep in mind they're about 15 feet away from from everyone but you know and and up higher and there's so many people and they're all jumping and everything like that it's they can't tell how fucking really bad it is it's just i mean it's just a like a perfect storm of circumstances yeah, the fact that they were so popular at the time, you know, they they were influential. You get you do get into that whole debate, you know, like well, does don't get you know, does violence in yeah. video games beget violence and all that? And you know, there's obviously there's a very moralistic take on it where these things are very influential, and so every message needs to be carefully right. like considered. Yeah. And then there's like a freedom of speech kind of issue where like you know you need to ha- take more greater responsibility about your ability to consume art you know right, but yeah. but it, it does like drink responsibly right like, listen to Limp Bizkit responsibly. <laughs> right like, but, like don't do it while you drive 
fucking dangerous. But you at the in your fist too hard. I mean, come on, like when you know, I'm sure I broke something. You know, yeah. when I was in like sixth well, I mean, or seventh grade, I probably broke. How could you know? Broke something. So, but again, it's not to. It's not to. Put, it, it's just like a weird circumstance thing where they were just so big, so that they had. I guess it's just that it was amp. Whatever they were gonna say was gonna be amplified because they were just like this hot yeah. band, and that is just that's just like this really bizarre nineties, well, late nineties thing. But it's just you know, because people were getting really stoked for every band. You know, right. We, like, we, like someone pointed out that people were moshing to like, you know, Dave Matthews mm-hmm. to to an extent, and and it's just that music just pushes you over the edge. And again, if it's not. If you're not used to going to actual aggressive shows, then you're not used to how you need to act. Like, right. You know what I mean? The, the pick them up if they fall down stuff. Mm-hmm. That doesn't apply to guys that are just like, fuck yeah, mosh pit. And you've right. never been in one. Did we ever talk about the Tyler, the creator thing at South by South by Southwest? It was like a few years ago where, you know, he was doing a show at South by Southwest. Right. There was, you know, it was at capacity. And then there was like hundreds of people in the fence outside. But I guess from his view on the stage, he could see all the people outside. So he just starts yelling like, hey, y'all break this fence down. And then they did it. And it was just complete chaos because like all of a sudden the venue got flooded with like hundreds more people. You can't do that. You cannot do that. So you can't do it. It's not a it's not good. What does it say? You know, society always wants that. Break that stuff. They moment. want they want that shit stirring. That I mean, you know, Tyler the Creator was is super popular, you know. So yeah, but you know, he's no uh, he's no Limp Biscuit. He's no Fred. He's but no a Fred. Fred a Fred Tyler the Creator. I actually song have would a, be a great. big scar on one of my hands from a a night that I had with with Tyler the Creator. That's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> so I met Wes Borland, the alien guitarist of Limp Bizkit. I met him. I got a picture with him. He gave me his contact information. He was extremely nice and willing to talk to me. Met him at a tiki bar. Uh, tracked him down through uh, Instagram. Realized, oh, that's right up by my house. I went right up there. There he was in all of his fucking Limp Bizkit <laughs> Woodstock 99 playing ass glory. Oh, that's good. And, uh, and when I told him that, you know, I did this show and, you know, we'd love to talk to him, he was like, man, you know, I really don't remember too much from Woodstock 99. He's like, I remember the aftermath and I, I remember being on stage and looking from side to side and seeing like every A-list celebrity that there was at the time and thinking like, whoa, this is fucking really bizarre that all these people are on stage like Puff mm-hmm. Daddy, like yeah. what the fuck? And uh, th- then, you know, I told him, I was like, yeah, you know, and we're trying to kind of steer the narrative away from you guys being the blame, you know, for, for, for the riots. And he was like, you know, because I, I told him, I was like, I, we, we have proof that you guys didn't actually, you know, start all the bad stuff. And he said, we kind of did. <laughs> and then laughed about it. So, <laughs> so hopefully, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe be able to get to talk to Wes Borland. But if we didn't, at least I got those stories. And that brings us to Rage Against the Machine, which from what we heard from our survivor, Tony B, was the rowdiest crowd that there was, even more so than Limp. But the difference is Limp Bizkit, when they went on stage, it was still daylight out, so you can really see what's going on. Whereas Rage, it was nighttime. It's also rumored that they had been turned down just Mm -hmm. to keep everyone from getting too fucking crazy. But the pit coming over the railing into the security area was a waterfall that did not stop. And that's when Tony B, our survivor, got... He, he told the guys, hey, put, bring me up. So he got crowd surfed to safety because he was like going, he was going to faint. He said the, the, 
heat in the crowd instantly jumped about 20 degrees and it was just boiling hot to be in there and uh really just not not fun but still insane and legendary and and crazy and actually i i didn't i stupidly didn't bring this up with our other survivor that we had on jenny alescu uh, she actually had interviewed Zach De La Roca, the singer of Rage Against the Machine, about his time at Woodstock 99 and kind of what he thought of the aftermath. And he had some some fairly eloquent things to say about it, of course, you know, most of them having to do with the sexual assaults and how it's, it's just absolutely terrible. And and he him uh, they, they went on tour with, I believe it was. The Beastie Boys. Or maybe it was when they were touring with, with Wu-Tang Clan. But either way, they, they created these this kind of um, uh, operator's manual for security on how to deal with protecting women at shows. And, and, and th- them as a band really made this push to, hey, we need to pay special attention to the females that are coming to these shows because they're being targeted and they're being attacked. And we need to change the way that we look at these things and we need to change the way that we listen to them and, and, and accept their stories. And it's kind of interesting, you know, just uh, to compare it to nowadays, you know, Me Too movement where we know better than to just write off something as, oh, well, look what you were wearing or, oh, well, you were at this concert or, oh, well, you wanted to get crowd surfed. It's mm-hmm. bigger than that. And, and they recognize that after their time at Woodstock 99 and what happened. And I thought that, that was kind of cool. Oh yeah, and then uh, headlining the East Stage, our, our last act there was uh, Metallica, the legendary metal band. They're still one of the biggest bands in the fucking world. And Jenny Alescu also had interviewed Lars Ulrich of Metallica a little bit after, uh, a little bit after Metallica, and or uh, after Woodstock '99. This is around 2000, 2001 when Napster was becoming the big thing, the the free downloading site. It started the whole pirate craze and of mm-hmm. course metallica headed up the fight against it saying that this is gonna single-handedly ruin the music industry and we're not giving this stuff out for free and you need to pay artists and music is worth something and just because you can download it doesn't mean you should because these mm-hmm. albums are being written and worked on hard mm-hmm. and you know they got kind of a bad rap and seemed like they were you know greedy money hungry you know just rock star assholes right it's like don't you have enough money already lars right exactly which they did you know and one could argue that but what they were really saying was like had it not been for the fact that people bought music they wouldn't have been shit and bands won't be able to get to a level of metallica anymore because there's no there's no money being exchanged for the product that they're putting out and he was he wasn't talking about oh metallica's gonna make less money than we ever did he's saying no there's bands now that are never gonna make money Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what they were talking about. And, uh, you know, what's it you, you'll see often kind of the uh, like a meme or just like a little article about how much money or how little money people make off of Spotify. And right. just, you yeah, know, I do like a thousand a cent, yeah. streams and I get a couple pennies so that you can I mean, you can directly tie that. To what um to what, you know Lars was talking about right right so no definitely I mean and it's exactly what we see now and now it's like finally crawling back to where maybe someone can uh, make make a little bit of money but you know it, it's not it's not what it used to be and it and it really has changed the entire industry so the final day is coming the final day is approaching oh, finally yes but don't get excited because. Well, or do get excited. You Okay, we don't need to get excited 
But you guys at home should be excited because this is going to be the roughest bunch of bands that mm -hmm. we've had to cover. And when I say rough, I mean, like, these sets are grueling. Like, I'm glad that we had to do them last because I've been putting it the fuck off. Mm -hmm. Cause, yeah. Because, I mean, we watched, we watched all of them, guys. I we did watched a, all of them. I watched a lot of videos today. And I'm pretty vacated mentally. Yeah, it's 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 oh god, man. I, I don't even want to spoil, but just just to give you a couple names, uh, we have Rusted Root, Godsmack, Seven Dust, uh, Jewel is gonna play. That that's not so bad. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and I mean plenty plenty more uh, that are gonna be uh, fairly difficult to cover. But we're gonna do it just for you. We're gonna do it. Now, I want to uh, give a couple shout-outs to uh, some of our new Patreon members. Uh, Nick O'Hara, I'm sure I shouted you out, but thanks for your support. And Sean Carnage, thank you very much. Um, you know, and, and we got a, a couple emails from some people with their stories, and I just wanted to go ahead and read one of them to you because it is awesome. It's a complete – it's someone's complete story. So let me, let me pull that up really quick. It's uh, – okay. <laughs> This is from a Michael Smith. I was 25. Five of us went. I bought ticks the very moment they went on sale. We're big music fans and went to one big festival or show each year. Did Tibetan Freedom the year before. Reading Leeds the year after. We drove from Detroit on Thursday morning. Drove through Canada. Parked on the base. Not too bad traffic. Security was supposed to be intense at check-in. Somewhere I found out that we could bring in unopened water, like two bottles per person. Two bottles per person for a three-day festival. Oh, Jesus. So <laughs> that's it. Uh, that's out of control. So I got a six-pack of 20-ounce bottles, poked a hole under the label, and drained the water with a 12G phlebotomy needle and 50cc syringe, then refilled it with clear liquor, sealed the hole with crazy glue. Never looked like we tampered with them. When I finally got to the security table, I threw my backpack. The security guard lightly patted the outside, never opened it, and asked, You got a bazooka or hand grenades? Nope. Have a good weekend. 200 feet beyond the entrance, there was a guy with a card table with every possible drug and edible I could imagine. <laughs> we set up maybe 200 feet from off the runway. We were pretty close to the Porta Johns. Had a couple drinks, some smoke, and then walked around and eventually wound up seeing G-Love. Walked around some more, got our merch, headed back to tents, and hung out for the rest of the day. A couple of us went to George Clinton. I remember a lot of lights, but they passed out yellow frisbees, and everyone was just chucking them into the air, and they'd smash on the ground and shatter. <laughs> there seemed like there were tens of thousands of them, and we did this for hours. We went back and passed out. We actually have one of those frisbees. Mm -hmm. It was part of our, uh, our, our artifact exhibit. Okay, so Friday. Friday. Woke up. Pissed in the Porta Johns. There was a big sink to wash hands and brush teeth. Got some beers, walked to the main stage. James Brown opened. His hype man just kept saying, James Brown, for like 15 <laughs> minutes. He comes out, does two songs, leaves. It's not necessarily true, but it's funny that it's that's the, the perspective. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember many more details, except it was balls hot. Saw Offspring, funny. Saw Sheryl Crow, and the crowd just kept chanting for corn. Pits broke out at every act. Corn was amazing. First time seeing them. First time I remember seeing fires in the crowd. First spotting fires mm -hmm. during corn. We were on the left side, parallel with the sound tower, 100 to 200 yards from it. Left because Bush sucks. Porta Johns were now so full the lids wouldn't close. Ugh. Did some <laughs> X. Terrible idea as it was still in the 100s at night. Tent, <laughs> tent was a sauna. My buddy lost his wallet in the pit at corn. 
Went looking for it after all the bands. Never found it. <laughs> Months later, it showed up in his mail, just minus the cash. Wow. Saturday. I feel like it's like The Shining when it says the name of the day. It's like Tuesday. <laughs> it's like this is like that, but Woodstock 99. Saturday. Being from Detroit, we all knew about Kid Rock. Got good spot during hip. Rock kills it. We got pelted with so many bottles when he asked the crowd to throw them. The full ones hurt. Too fucking hot now. We went to the movie hangar. There had to be six to eight inches of compacted trash and pizza boxes everywhere on the floor. Fell asleep during the John Waters Smell-O-Vision movie. New York Health Department then stops the movie, announces the hangar is a health emergency because of the trash, and we all had to leave. Wow. Yep, that's crazy. Go, go to see Limp Bizkit. Same spot as Friday. Kids start getting boosted up on the wall of the sound tower, and security would kick their hands and shove them back down. The wall had to be 10 feet high. Crowd gets pissed, and hundreds of kids jump and climb up and start hanging off the top and just rocking it back and forth. It was destroyed in one minute. We couldn't hear Rage at the beginning. The rumor was it was turned off to the back speakers because organizers thought Rage would incite a riot. Metallica was great, too. Loved the one beginning with the silhouettes of Kirk and James. After the set, Lars says, I guess we'll see you again in five years because they had played Woodstock right. 94. Well, and he had, because in one of the interviews, I think it was Lars and Kennedy, he had said that he had just spoken to Cher backstage. Oh, about doing and he was like, it we're going to do Woodstock 2004. God, so, God. They're always trying. All right, Kid Rock sits with Lars, and they have some Budweiser's. I don't remember taking a piss this day. Beer had no effect, but it was essentially cheaper than water. Fucking mud people essentially kept everyone from the port johns No one wanted to risk getting pulled in. I ate, but I don't remember what. So expensive. Sunday. We got up, decided it wasn't worth hanging out all day to only see chili peppers, so we left. Stopped at a Kenny Rogers Roasters in Canada. Was the first time we saw ourselves in a mirror. That's trippy. <laughs> I looked gray with the sunblock caked to my four days of growth mixed with so much dust. Customs saw us and just waved us through. Got home, took a 45-minute shower and a 45-minute shit. <laughs> <laughs> Three of us got together, drank some beers, and we watched the fires on MTV from a buddy's house. Oh. That's a great Woodstock 99 story. Wow. <laughs> Oh, I wonder what forty-five minutes. I wonder what their reaction to the fires was. If they were like, "Oh, glad we missed it," or like, "Dang, we should have stayed." I'm gonna just judge from the rest of the shit that this guy said that he was probably like, "Fuck, yeah, we should have been there." Fuck. I also want to thank the the guy that sent us the complete unabridged pay-per-view feed of Woodstock '99. It took up almost an entire hard drive. And I'm going to get his name in just one second. We're, uh, we're doing some, some interesting stuff here today. We got all sorts of new technologies and tools. So, Have you uh, cracked that open yet, that hard drive? Uh, I have not, but our moderator from the event, Brett Berg of Voyager Institute, did. Okay. And said that, yeah, there's just like shitloads of, uh, uh, of, of in-between stuff, which is kind of, Ooh. Kind of the deal here. Right. We gotta get into that. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I gotta crack it open for for sure. Let's see here where we got it. Where we got it? Oh, yes, yes. Josh on the net at uh at uh on Instagram there, so you can you can check that out. But uh, yeah. Oh, wait, wait, was that him? If not, this is a good fan too. Oh yeah, yes, this was the guy. Yeah, thank you, dude, so goddamn much. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. His name's Josh Sieg. Thank you. 
That was awesome. It's awesome that we now have that. And I have it forever because, again, one of these days, folks, YouTube's going to pull all these fucking sets. And it's going to be really fucking sad. But now at least I know that I have the what's going to I'm going to just start calling the manuscript, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the the, the Bible, the, the Bible of Woodstock 99, yeah. the complete unabridged. Uh, although the mystery tape it shows the aftermath. I'm sure pay-per-view was cut for that. I, I didn't go that didn't go that far. But, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, we have day three coming after this, folks. We're we're we're, we're getting to the end here, we're which bur- reminds me through. Yes, that 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 podcast ninety nine is brought to you by the Culture Dumps team. That that's that's what we call the uh, the studio over here and and what we do. And once and and it, again, Woodstock ninety nine will come to an end. Once that happens, we're gonna make a big switch over just to the Culture Dumps show, the the official Culture Dumps show, and that's when we're gonna be covering all sorts of things from the fringes of pop culture, everything from you know celebrity sex tapes to Beanie Babies to the Swing Revival movement to Anna Nicole Smith. I mean, you name it, we're gonna be covering it, and uh, you can count on extensive research, just as we've done here, but for a larger array of things because. I never want to focus on one subject this hard ever again. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, maybe we'll do some some one-off episodes. You know, maybe two live crew is something I'm pretty yeah. excited oh, to t- talk about. Yeah, definitely two live crew. I mean, yeah. that could be a two-parter, depending. There's a lot going on there. But just things that seem to happen just get really They're all going to be big, on the 99 level. You we'll know, tell you that. They're really big. And then, yeah, they just kind of disappear. Yeah, we eat them up, and then we dump them out. Mm-hmm. And that is a culture dump. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, that that's gonna be it for today, folks. If you went to, worked at, or played Woodstock '99, please contact us at podcast ninety nine official at gmail dot com or on Instagram at podcast ninety nine. We'd like to thank Gray Holger of Condradick Sound for all of his technical assistance. I'm Ryan Licton. I've been joined by Parks Miller, and we will see you at Woodstock. <laughs>